Welcome to The Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom. Good morning. This is Papa Tom of The Father's Heart Talk Show. And I want to share with our audience a new segment that I'm developing called The Musings of an Itinerant Raconteur. You know, I really, all my life, I've loved words and understand that uh, words are very important. Uh, I looked up once uh, in Google and found out that the average human being, the average human being who speaks English, knows somewhere between 20,000 and 35,000 English words. And in uh, some surveys, they actually go up as high as 42,000. So it's very interesting uh, if we get a concept of what words are, how many words we do understand. And I've always made it a practice with my kids to grow up at the dinner table and share new words with them to help them grow and develop their minds to develop different words. So when I talk about the musings of an itinerant raconteur, what does that title mean? Well, let's break it down. Musings means thoughts, things that I've thought about. Itinerant means traveling. So if you have a troubadour who told stories, he would be an itinerant. He went from town to town. And the word raconteur, beautiful word, I think it comes from the French, raconteur, and it means storyteller. So these are the thoughts of a traveling storyteller. That's another way of describing it. But I always find it interesting to come up with words and phrases that are a little bit novel and interesting way of expressing them. Musings of an itinerant raconteur. Later in life, I found out many of the ideas I learned early in my life were not true. I can give you an example of that. Um, and I made it a point when my uh, wife and I were having kids, and you probably may have experienced this yourselves. Um, when was the first time that you learned that Santa Claus wasn't real? And that was pretty disappointing. And many Christian households that celebrate Christmas, um, Santa Claus is a big deal. That jovial, old, heavy set, if you'll call that word, uh, maybe fat, old man with a white beard and a red suit, but he was so kind and he brought presents. And this was Santa Claus. Now there was a person way, way back, I believe his name was Nicholas, and he was did exist, not in the North Pole, didn't have any reindeer, but he did exist and he was kind and he give, gave gifts to children and off of that person's life, who I believe was a saint, at least the Catholic Church, I think, considers Nicholas a saint, uh, they converted him into um, Santa Claus, the legend, the fable of Santa Claus up in the North Pole. But it's a little disappointing when you're a kid to find out that your parents lied to you, and they told you that Santa Claus was real, and you found out later he wasn't real. Well, that's probably not that big a deal. But there's a lot of things in life that are a big deal. And there are things that... Um, when you find out later that they're not true, they can affect the way you live your lives and your perception of things. Uh, in the theater of the mind, we're given things to think about that are narratives, and they have a purpose behind them. And when that purpose uh, brings fear and is included in that narrative as lies, lies that engender fear, that's not a way to live your life. And that's not going to bring you closer uh, to God, it's not going to be closer to uh, living a fulfilled life. Because the truth is that if we'll know the truth, the truth will set us free. That's what Scripture tells us. And the actual phrase before that is, if you, we abide in Him, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. 
So on the Father's Heart Talk Show, there's a conversation going on all the time in the background between myself and God, my Father. And he's teaching me things. So the things he's teaching me are causing me to think and to think about things. And I want to share those thoughts. Those are my musings that I would like to share with my audience. And eventually I'd like them to go, since they're recorded and I'm going to be writing about them, they'll be for my posterity and my legacy, which eventually is my grandchildren. The paradox of this revelation was that though I had been misled and even lied to most of my life about history and numerous other subjects, I was relieved to find out the truth and I took comfort in the thought that the truth will set me free. My middle name is Freedom. Actually, my middle name is Francis. However, Francis means freedom. And I really, really enjoy freedom. Frankly, it's one of the reasons I truly appreciate being an American. Because the idea of America is all about being free. To be truly free, I came to realize I needed to learn the truth. There's only one source. There's only one book that I could learn the, the whole truth from. And nothing but the whole truth. So help me God. And that's the word, the scripture, the Bible. So I had to start there in the beginning. To my chagrin, I learned that what I was taught in Genesis had interpretations that were not what my father had in mind when he inspired the writers of the scriptures. Here's an example. Well, think about this one. My original understanding of the very first sentence in Genesis, Genesis 1.1 says, and if you go back to the King James, or sometimes people call it the King Jimmy version, or any of the other English versions, there are going to be um, six words that are translated in the very first sentence. There are actually in the original Hebrew seven words, but only six words are translated. So this is an example. My original understanding of the first sentence in Genesis 1 was, 1-1 was, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Later, I came to realize this was not the first sentence in the original Hebrew. In the original Hebrew, it reads, In the beginning, God created Aleph Tav, the heavens and the earth. Aleph Tav are two Hebrew letters. The Aleph symbolizes, uh, is the first letter, like in, America, in English we would say A. A is the first letter of a 26-letter alphabet. Aleph is the first letter in a 22 letter alphabet in Hebrew. Tav is the last letter in the 22 letter Hebrew alphabet, and as it would be Z. So it would be A to Z in English. There's, in Hebrew, it would be Aleph Tav. So uh, it would disturb me when I found that out. Right then and there, I realized something was missing. The Hebrew letters Aleph Tav were omitted from the translation. These were my musings. My first question was, why were these two letters omitted? What did Aleph Tav mean? What could they have meant? What did my father want me to know about these two letters that he brought this omission to my attention? Lastly, if there was an omission or deletion in the very first sentence of the Word of God, what about the rest of the Bible? I'm a grandfather now, so I'm conscious of the thought that my role in life has changed from fatherhood to Super fatherhood. The thoughts I now have, I didn't have when I was raising my kids. However, these thoughts, new revelations, are musings that I want my grandchildren to know sooner rather than later in life. So I began to think about Aleph Tav. What could it have meant? 
it uh, in English it could have been um, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. When I studied a little bit, that's what the Hebrews actually use when they see Aleph Tav. Aleph is the first letter, Tav is the last letter. Alpha represent the Alpha and then the Omega, which would be beginning and end. It's also a scripture for Jesus, the beginning and the end. Could it be that the narrative left out a reference to Jesus as the beginning and the end? That was one thought. Another thought was, could it be if God created, had to create all of Tav, he was creating language so that the entire creation could understand the words, the, the sounds that he was making were words and the words were creating things. Let there be light, or in Hebrew it actually says, light be, was the first thing out of God's mouth in creation. And that statement was a word or a set of words. And those words created things. And it showed that God was creator, and the first thing he created was language. We'll be back in a moment, and I'll share a little bit more about the musings of an itinerant raconteur. We're back with Papa Tom, Father's Heart Talk Show. And I'm discussing the musings or thoughts of an itinerant raconteur a traveling storyteller. And I was discussing the discovery I made one time through a Bible teacher. By the way, the Bible teacher is a good friend of mine. His name is Otis McQueen. And um, Otis brought out when he studied, he's a gifted teacher, by the way, as an anointing to teach. And he's the first person I have ever met in my life that actually studied the scripture down to from every Hebrew word into every Hebrew letter. And so he was very exact in his understanding of what the Hebrew words meant, what the scripture meant, and to understand exactly what God meant in the scripture, you had to go to the exact word. Then you had to go to the exact letter. He was the first one to tell me that um, Hebrew words, the letters for the Hebrew words, were actually words unto themselves. Kind of like a hieroglyphic type of uh, pictorial letter. And in these words and in these uh, letters, which each letter was a word itself, the letter at its original source was actually a verb, which I found very interesting. And because the structure of the Hebrew language was such that every Hebrew word was composed of Hebrew letters and the letters themselves were words and the words that the letters were, were also verbs, you found out that it was very, very experiential uh, as um, uh, opposed to or contrasted to Greek because the Greek was the introduction of thoughts with, where words represented things, um, but they were um, reason. That's why I think Scripture brings out that Jewish people look for a sign and the Greek looks for reason. Well, the Greek language is theoretical, and the Hebrew language is experiential. Move that to a side for a moment. So if we're understanding Hebrew, and we're understanding uh, that it's experiential, what was the experience that God wanted his children to have when they read Genesis 1-1 and found out that the first thing he created was Aleph Tav, which we shared with before, the first letter and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet? 
was he was he signaling that when he put those words in there, those two letters in there, Aleph Tav, that he had to create language before he created anything else? Possibility. Seems reasonable to me. I, I think that that's what he was trying to show me, that he had to create language first. And that in creating language, the language that he used was Hebrew. I really believe when he wrote, when Moses found the Ten Commandments written by the very finger of God, what language did the finger of God, did God use when he used his fingers onto the tablets of stone? It was Hebrew. It had to be Hebrew. There have been scholars that indicated that the Hebrew language is a language that was inserted into mankind, that they di it didn't have a source. All other languages, you can go through history and find out where they came from. But Hebrew, you can't. There, there is no um, way of determining what it was derived from. All of the languages are derived, but Hebrew is not derived. And so the implication of it not being derived, that was literally inserted into mankind's civilization. Somehow, some way. Maybe by the finger of God. <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, the Hebrew language is fascinating to me. Just absolutely fascinating. Because words are important to me. Hebrew words have become very important to me. Because it was my best way of understanding what God my Father wants me to understand is to understand the scripture. And to understand the scripture, I had to understand it in Hebrew. Um, it's also a little bit curious when I was talking to Otis, my Bible teacher, my good friend, my good friend who taught me a lot about the Bible, I should say it that way, because um, he's about my age. <laughs> and uh, Otis was describing, it was curious to him why the New Testament, which was written in Greek and Aramaic, why there were... 200, over 200 Hebrew idioms in the New Testament. He said, why would the Greek people use Greek idi uh, Hebrew idioms in their language translation if the English, if the New Testament wasn't written originally in Hebrew? So that caused me to think, maybe the original Hebrew work was written in Hebrew, and they just translated it into Greek. And that's how they came up with the 200 um, idioms. But I digress. Let me go back to Aleph Tav. So it could be there as an indicator of language, that God had to create language before he created anything else. And the reason why he had to create language was because he had to commute, he wanted to, not had to, but he commute, wanted to communicate through words. And words had to have meaning. So for words to have meaning, it has to have language. Otherwise, they're just sounds. I find it interesting that um, if that was the case and he had to create language or wanted to create language before he created anything else, that everything he did to create, he spoke it out of his mouth. He didn't use his hands and, and use clay and, and, and do something uh, other than that. He, he spoke everything. He may have used uh, clay to form a, a mold for uh, Adam, but... Uh, very dirt that he used that he created from nothingness. Now, God's the only one who creates something out of nothingness. How do you create something out of nothingness? Well, <laughs> only God can do that, and the matter he used to create something from nothing was words. You know, we understand from the scripture, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
and nothing was created that wasn't created through him. So isn't it interesting the implication is the word. It goes back to language again. Language and word are interwoven with each other in, in an amazing way. And for us to get an understanding of that, it comes back to how important words are and how important language is. And in communicating Aleph Tav, he was communicating the, the need or the importance, I should say, not the need, but the importance of language. Aleph Tav, beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, even the word itself. Isn't it interesting that uh, all things were created uh, through the word in John, in the Gospel of John. And it references that in the very beginning of Genesis 1.1. And the reference starts with Aleph Tav, which for some reason was omitted from the translation from the Old Hebrew into the Septuagint and the other translations as well. So um, another important thought about words is God says he holds his word equal to his name. He created all things by the power of his word, the power of his word and the word of his power. So he, he drew up an equivalency there. Uh, there's a Hebrew idiom, by the way. The power of his word, the word of his power. See, it goes back and forth. And it's equally true in both ways. And he holds his word and equal to his name above all. So there's a relationship between his word and his name. And there's nothing higher than his word and his name. You know, there was a time in life where people would say, I give you my word. My word is my bond. And a, per a man's reputation was tarnished if he didn't live up to his word. You know, when a king spoke a law, he couldn't change it. You look back in history and the, the king's word was it. That was it. Said the word, bang. It was, there was no taking back a word. Once it was spoken, it couldn't be retracted. God as creator speaks things into being and they never get destroyed. Creation is continuing to create. The universe, is the universe is continuing to expand. And the word of God is continually being spoken and continually um, grow, uh, developing, multiplying. The uh, universe is multiplying. And it never stops, it's never destroyed. Even Satan, he can't destroy anything. Change the form of it. Like in Hiroshima, if the atomic bomb blows up everything, it changes its form, but... Those atoms that were originally created don't go away. On the event horizon of the universe, knowledge that comes forward never goes away. There's only more and more knowledge. There's only more and more creation. It doesn't go backwards. It only goes forwards. So we understand from uh, the scripture that God held his word in his highest esteem equal to his name. He held the name, his word in his name above all. It's another expression of who God is. God is creator. That's who he identifies with and describes himself to us. He is the only uncreated being. When things are created, they're created by whom? It has to be an uncreated being. Logic brings us back to the primary source. The primary source has to be a being that didn't, wasn't created, it existed before time. Time itself was created. So God is the only uncreated being who ever was. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, the, the Hebrew language is capable, 22 
words. And it has, um, great, can you create mathematically, I think, two and a half million words out of 22 letters. I'm sorry, Hebrew language is 22 letters. And you can create two and a half million words. So the average English-speaking person speaks 20 to 40,000 words. That's a big, small part of two and a half million that can be created by the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew language is like a digital language. It doesn't change. The same Hebrew words that existed four, five, six thousand years ago, whenever it was created, I mean, the Hebrew calendar was 5784. Back in 5784, when Hebrew existed, at least at that time, it didn't change from then till now. Um, so he's both Lord God and our Father. He is the great I Am. Yahweh is his name. And he has no beginning and no end. His word, the word he uses for his name is the verb to be. I am. That's the sign language. You say I am. The, the sign of that word is for God. Um, and he is creator. The first thing he wants me to know about himself is that I am made in his image and likeness. And all human beings are made in his image and likeness. It's a very important concept. So we're made in the image and likeness of God, who is the I am, who is the creator. And the first thing he wants to know about his relationship is the whole of who he is, starting with being creator. He's my father, and I am his son. Every movement of every thought he has for me is motivated by love. And we'll be back in a moment, and I'll share with you a little bit about how God shows his love for me, and actually for you too. Here we are back with Baba Tom, the Father's Talk Show, and I ended the last segment talking about God's love for me and God's love for you, and how he expresses his love for us. One thing God is besides love is truth. He's, he's the intersection of love and truth all in the same being. That's why I like the color purple. Because the couple purple is a combination of the... And my shirt's a little purple today. It's the intersection of blue, which is true. Truth. Blue is a color symbolizing truth. And red, which symbolizes love. And the intersection of red and blue is... Purple, it's the royal color, color of my father, color that he wants his children to understand. Uh, in heaven, I believe we're going to see a lot of purple robes and a lot of gold too, gold, gold streets and purple robes, and you know, you're living high, you're living, uh, living large, as they say. So God's love is expresses to me. He wants me to understand what's true, and so I've come up to understanding. These are my musings now of the itinerant raconteur. I began to muse and think about things that I learned during my life that are not true, and then trying to understand what is true. <clears throat> but God's not just loving me or loving you. He's love itself. Uh, he just doesn't love as a verb would imply. Um, he is the very substance of love. Who he is, the energy that flows from him is love. The love flows from him also is true. Truth and love come together in the same space and time. 
Uh, it's the antiposition of that is fear and lies. They're the opposite of truth and love. Which I say, love and truth. Love and truth, fear and lies. Um, in him, everything is, is complete. And he desires us to know him. And to know him means we need to know the truth. And even if it's the truth about things. I'll give you certain examples. Early on in this, this show, I, I began to share what it was like when you were a parent and or actually when you was a child, you found out your parents lied to you and told you there was Santa Claus, and you find out there was no Santa Claus, and that was a little disturbing because you really liked this guy, Santa Claus. I mean, he was a good guy. He gave you a lot of presents. You know, you had all this imagery in your mind, and some people, I think, prayed to Santa Claus for their gifts. And um, a lot of uh, cultural things. I can remember growing up, and my mom and dad, my mom used to tell me we used to, and we used to have to have chocolate chip cookies and milk, and we would send out the chocolate chip cookies and milk and Santa Claus was going to come and, and uh, you know, he needs something to eat. I guess he needed a snack. Uh, so it was very disappointing. You woke up early in the morning and you went down and you see your father putting together the bicycle. And uh, what happened to Santa Claus? But every morning before that happened, the, certainly the chocolate chip cookies and the, and the milk was gone. And you thought in your mind as a little child that Santa Claus actually visited your house. How disappointing it was to find out that Santa Claus wasn't real. Well, later in life, I found out that Christmas wasn't real either. And that was a little also shocking to me, that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, that um, it was a distortion, um, came in the time of Constantine, um, around 325 AD, when Constantine made Christianity the religion of the empire. He needed to replace the pagan holiday of the winter solstice. And so he came up with an idea for the winter solstice, and he said, wait, what? And it was an ingenious thought. We'll make it the birthday of Christ, the birthday of Jesus. Well, came to understand as I got older, these are my musings now, that uh, Christmas wasn't what it was all cracked up to be. Christmas wasn't the birthday of Jesus, that he was born somewhere between late August and September 23rd, which was the t time in the constellation of Virgo. Uh, it was also the time around Rosh Hashanah, which is in the Hebrew means um, the Feast of Trumpets. It also means new beginnings, new beginnings, the Feast of Trumpets. This is when the shepherds heard the trumpet, the angels blowing the trumpets. This was the new birth, and that was the birth of Jesus. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us the specific date. It's That is actually omitted, but in understanding when it I probably did happen. It was going to be in September and not in uh, not Christmas. So it's disappointing to find out that Santa Claus wasn't real. It was disappointing to find out that Christmas wasn't real. It was disappointing to me to find out that the Christmas tree was the Yule log, was a pagan event. Everything about Christmas was made up and it wasn't true. And it's not biblical. And as a child growing up, that's pretty disappointing when you get older. But you got to deal delicately with that with the in-laws when you don't celebrate Christmas for your own children. You do give gifts at the end of the year. You make up for it somehow. But you don't want to um, communicate a miscommunication that something was true when it wasn't. Another big one was Halloween, which were, today is actually uh, October 31st. It's really Reformation Day when Luther posted his 95 complaints on the cathedral door. 
Uh, that's a good day to celebrate, October 31st, Reformation Day. We certainly need Reformation in our country and our world right now. Nonetheless, Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, is the high holy day of Satan. It's not uh, all about candy and uh, wearing costumes and masks and the actual stories behind them I can't even relate on the radio. can't even relate on the show what the demonic origins of Halloween are because they're horrible and they probably shut me off but we talked about what was really going on there. Yet what we do is trick-or-treat and we give the kids candy and we make Halloween into a great thing and put costumes on them and that's not what it's all cracked up to be. That narrative is false. You know, scripture tells us we're also not supposed to, in the word, uh, get involved with the world. And the older I became, the more I realized how much paganism has um, affected our world. Everything in our world, I say everything, almost everything in our world, everything in our culture has been affected by um, thoughts that come from a pagan place. We've removed ourselves, we consider ourselves a Christian nation and a Christian culture in many ways. And insofar as that deals with freedom uh, and what our founding fathers established, it is that way. But if you look at all the different words that we use, look very simply like the words that are used for the days of the week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. These are all words based upon pagan gods. Same thing with the months of the year. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Pagan all the way through again. Why were the seasons changed? Why did we have a he why is there a Hebrew calendar where the year 2024 is actually 5784? Why is it 2024 in the calendar that we have that came from Roman times? Why are these seasons and times changing, which Scripture told us it would change? Why is Satan trying to change the seasons and times to confuse us, to not have us understand what's really going on? Did Adam actually leave the Garden of Eden a million years ago, or 100,000 years ago, or 10,000 years ago? Or was it 6,000 years ago? seems to me it's closer to 6,000 years ago. 6,000 is six, the number for man. 6,000 years ago, of which we're coming close to the end of that. It would be the end of the time of man. These are all thoughts that are coming through my mind and I'm talking about them and thinking about them. I'm thinking about what is the truth? What is the truth about these holidays? What's the truth about the calendar? What's the truth about days of the week, months of the year? What's the truth? And how do I find the truth? How do you find the truth? Again, the only way you really can find the truth is in the Word of God and understanding the Word of God the way it was originally written. And that has brought me down full circle to understanding what are the Hebrew words that were actually written and what are the Hebrew letters that those words symbolize. So I get a deeper understanding of what my father was actually trying to say to me and what he's actually trying to say to you. Because ultimately in my life, the reason why I want to find the truth is because I want to find out who I am. I want to find out my identity. I want to find out my calling. 
I want to find out my destiny and to find out my calling and my, my, uh, my identity, my calling and my destiny. There's only one place I could find that. Not, or find that from, that's from God my Father. And how is he communicating to me? Well, one of the primary ways he communicates to me is the written word. The other way communicates, quite honestly, is rhema, through thoughts, through dreams and thoughts. But those thoughts and those dreams always absolutely have to correlate to the written word. If they deviate from the written word, then something's wrong. I can't accept that thought. So many of the thoughts that come into my mind are not based upon the word. So many thoughts that come into my mind cause me to have fear. But everything that comes into my mind that tries to cause me to have fear, I have to check, is that the truth or is that a lie? Most of, almost everything I find out, if it doesn't come from my father, it's going to be a lie. Everything that comes from my father, every thought that comes from my father is true. And every thought that comes from my father brings his love to me. Anything that transgresses that, violates that, is a lie. And it's trying to cause me fear. And I'm not going to buy into the lie. I'm not going to buy into the fear. Because my mind is focused on who he is and who he says that I am. I can only afford to think of thoughts that he says about me and not thoughts that someone else thinks about me. Which brings me to another point. So much in my life I've seen people determine who they are by the thoughts that they have that other people have of them. So we oftentimes uh, perceive our, our value, our worth, based upon what other people say. You know, if you look at the context of the socio and economic uh, world uh, or worldview, the worldview of the socio economic worldview is someone who is a janitor and doesn't make a lot of money. Um, that's, he doesn't have a very high view in the view of the world. Somebody makes a million dollars a year, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, brain surgeon who makes a million dollars a year, he's highly valued. But the person is the janitor is not highly valued. Yet, is that God's perception of the janitor? Or God's perception of the neurosurgeon? Or is it man's perception? It's easy to see. It's man's perception. And so much of our identities are tied up in our work and the things that we do. And that gives us value when it's not consistent with Scripture. Because to be consistent with Scripture, we have to understand that God's view of us is that we are his beloved. We are his children. And he has callings and destinies in our life to bring our kingdom, for it was the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. That's why he created it. That's why he created heaven. It's for us. Didn't create hell for us. Created heaven for us. And we're going to come back in a moment and share with you some thoughts about the fear of man and God's love for us that overcomes that. We're back with Papa Tom and the Father Todd Talk Show. And we were talking about how we can understand our identity, calling, and destiny from the heart of God the Father. And that's the only place where we could really find it. And how we get uh, off track when we look at our identity and our callings from man's eyes. It's the fear of man that uh, distracts us. The thoughts of man that distract us. We're very conscious about 
what other people think of us. Um, we live in a world where we're taught daily um, how we are different from other people and that um, actually we're taught to be offended. And yet, whenever I read the scripture, I don't find Jesus ever being offended. He could never be offended because he knew who he was. He and the father were like Mike and Ike. They were two peas in a pod. They were as close as close could be. It couldn't be any closer. They were on the same page on everything. And Jesus knew who he was. He knew his role was going to be the Messiah. Um, he knew what he came to earth to do. He was going to do it. Set his face like flint towards the cross. He wouldn't be dissuade from the cross. No matter what Peter said, no matter what anybody else said, he knew the cross was the way he was going to go. That's where he came on the earth. And he never feared men. He never feared what the Pharisees said to him. <coughs> Excuse me. He never feared anything. Um, his, concept, his self-concept was complete. And that's something that we can also um, ourselves come to the place where we understand what the Father thinks of us. We can understand what the Father thinks of us. We can understand who we are. And even probably more importantly, whose we are. In thinking about whose we are, I'll give you an expression uh, that's out of Scripture, actually. There was a time when Jesus was talking to his disciples and said to them, Who do you say that I am? Actually, I think it actually more accurately says, Who do you say the Son of Man is. So he already gave himself a title, Son of Man. Who do you say the Son of Man is? And his disciples looked at each other and said, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus looked them around and said, I didn't ask you hearsay. I didn't ask you what other people said. Who do you say that I am? And one of the 12 disciples stood up and said, this Peter. Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. So there's a clear example of the Father revealing Jesus' identity and also his calling embedded in his identity, which is also another thought we have to have is that our names usually are hints as to what our identity are, our identity is. And where should we be getting our names from? From our natural fathers, because it's in God's design to have natural fathers. But when, what happens in a world of fatherlessness? What happens in a world where fathers are not there, fathers are absent? What happens in communities where many of the homes, the households in the communities do not have a father present? Biological father's not present. Uh, and it's so hard to bring in people who have a father's heart, like a teacher or a coach, someone who can fill in the gap for that a particular person's life. Any child, boy, girl, doesn't matter what the gender is. We're seeing a world grow or run amok. Today is the day of Reformation, October 31st. And let's see if we can reform this world and bring the fathers back. Let's see if we can bring the fathers back to the seven mountains of influence. Let's see if we bring people who have a father's heart to want to protect, provide, and to mentor. Oh, these are pretty good musings that I'm having today, and I'm just 
uh, kind of like Rick Joyner went on Rick's rant. I'm actually ranting today, but the, what it's coming out of me is what God's put in me. So I, I hope really it's rich. And I hope it's something that uh, will cause you to think, cause you to ask questions about life and the things that you've learned. What was the song that was about uh, all the things I learned in high school were wrong? Uh, what about when you learned, and I am learning, continuing some of my musings, you know, did Lee Harvey Oswald actually um, assassinate John F. Kennedy? I don't think so. Was World War II started, or World War I started, or the Titanic, or all these things, um, what we were told they were in history? I don't think so. Because there's a lot of evidence that would imply something else. Did the Twin Towers go down in um, uh, September 11th? Which, by the way, the evil side thinks was Jesus' birthday. Um, that's just an aside now, just a thought. Why did they pick September 11th? And did they actually go down, or was it an inside job? It's up to you to think about those things. I think we've been lied to. I think we've been lied to all along, and most of history has been comprised by people who wanted to give us a narrative and something to distract us from what is true and actually cause us to be afraid. And to cause us to fear. Um, why were the wars created the way they were? Why were people able to make money on the wars they were? You know, I, I wrote a paper uh, when I was in college. And it was, um, I think it was in history class, either history class or an economics class. And the premise of my paper was that uh, wars were, uh, all wars were created because of money. And my professor, uh, the worst paper grade I ever got in college was a D minus. Didn't want to give me an F, I guess. But he gave me a D minus because I wrote this paper and I recorded through history the different wars and how I felt, the, felt uh, I, I described, I felt. I, I premised the thought that they were created for economic reasons. And this economics professor was telling me, oh, no, they were, they were or he's either a history professor or an economics professor was telling me that I was all wet. I was completely wrong. All wars were fought for ideological reasons. Well, as I've gotten older, I realized they were not fought for ideological reasons. That um, we had central bankers financing the wars on both sides and making a lot of money on wars. And there's a, there's a true economic incentive to fight the wars that were fought and to incentivize people to engage in war. The war is also destructive. It's destructive to mankind. It's a killing of, of millions of people in wars. Who is interested in killing millions of people? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's not God my father. He's not interested in depopulating the earth. The dark side is interested in depopulating the earth. God's not interested in controlling us. The dark side is interested in controlling us. God's very happy with his creation and the DNA that he, we have. Our DNA is perfect in God's eyes. Everything he did was good, and he was happy with it, and so on and so forth. But why is the dark side saying they're trying to recreate, build back better, humankind? Why is the dark side trying to change our DNA? Why is it since the time of Genesis 6 and the time of the Nephilim, the Bene Elohim, whoever they were, maybe angels, maybe not, I don't know, 
I think they were spiritual beings. I'll tell you one thing. Whoever the Bena Elohim were, they weren't human. And they had progeny with the, the daughters of men. And the specific purpose was to contaminate the DNA that God created human beings in his image and likeness. He created us to be fruitful and multiply. So all the thoughts that are coming to you are coming to our children that do not want us to be fruitful and multiply. All those thoughts of LBGTQ, right, is an attempt not to be fruitful and multiply. Transhumanism is changing our DNA. Transgender and transgender dysphoria doesn't want us to be fruitful and multiply. Why would you approve of doctors mutilating the genitalia of our children because of some thought in their head? Mutilization of the genitalia is coming from the dark side. It doesn't want us to be fruitful and multiply. It's against God our Father, diabolically against Him and against His heart. Anything that raised up with critical race theory, these are all my thoughts. Why is critical race theory wrong? Why is it dividing us? God's desire is to connect us. Everything he does is to connect us to him and the vertical and connect us horizontally with each other. Love and truth connect us with God. Love and truth connects us horizontally with one another. That's his desire. Always been that way. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's always going to want us to be connected. We're going to be connected on truth. One of the things he tells us of the many things he tells us to be fruitful and multiply is to connect us and to grow. Faith and faithfulness. That word faithfulness. How do you become faithful? You've got to be multiplying. God considered that to be one of the things that he presented us to do. Not to hold back. And yet we're afraid. I'll give another quick example. Uh, when I was younger and my wife and I were thinking about having children, we were told either not to have children or only have one or two because children were too expensive. We ended up having six children and now 15 grandchildren, and we threw that out with the wind. We were desiring to be fruitful and multiply, and practicing was actually fun anyway. So, um, But that was in God's heart, to be fruitful and multiply, to have many children. In my communication with my father, he says, have as many as you want, and I'll make sure you, you provide well for them. And that was certainly the case. So to understand the heart of God, to understand that we have hope, to understand this day of reformation is a day when God wants to change us back, or change us into alignment with his word. We are so far out of alignment. Our, our world and our country is so far out of alignment with God, we don't know which end is up. And mankind is not going to help us. Donald Trump, who I believe is in God's anointing, God's going to use him, but it's not him. It's the power of God that's going to move. It's the heart of God the Father that's going to change this world. And it's going to change this world because he loves us, and he loves America, and he's promised to save America. He's promised to save your children. He's promised to save them from the darkness that wants to uh, cause them to be afraid. He doesn't want them to be afraid. He always says multiple times in his word, fear not, for I am with you. I pray that you'd be thinking about these thoughts and the musings of an itinerant raconteur. 